Get your Bibles out, man. Open them up. Psalm 23. That's where we're going. How many of you on this Thanksgiving weekend are still in a food coma? Yeah. Somebody came in and said they ate turkey for breakfast today. Who was it? Was that this service or last service? That's weird. I don't know. Like, that's strange. And then somebody said it was turkey bacon. You're an idiot. Like, that's bacon is supposed to come from a pig, not a turkey. Amen? All right, you're in the right church today. I love to eat. Anybody else? Love it. I love, love, love to eat. Here's the thing about eating. This is something all of us have in common. A lot of time we talk about differences or the world wants to talk about our differences and point them out. But this is what we all have in common. Doesn't matter. Christian, non-Christian. All of us have had at least one, at least one great meal in our lifetime. Yes or no? Yes. All right. Now think about your best meal. Think about it. Just take a minute. Just think about your best meal or your best dining experience. Home-cooked meal or restaurant, doesn't matter. Just think. What's the best meal that you've ever had? Now, I obviously have eaten a lot of meals. All right. I got, got a lot of them because, again, I love food. And so I had to really, really, really think about best meal. And I can narrow it down to a thousand. Um, but, but five really stick out. And one of them one of the best meals ever was a lunch at Mary's grandparents' house um, during harvest time. They were farmers. Like, I never knew farmers ate like that at lunch. It was like in October, and it was better than Thanksgiving. It was crazy. And the next day was the exact same thing. It was just like, it was so much food. And the thing that I remember the most were the mashed potatoes and gravy. Like, they were just to die for. And later on, literally, out in the middle of the field, I about did die. And some of you might know what I'm talking about. Like, like it was, it was incredible. And it sticks out to me as, as one of the, one of the greatest dining experiences ever. And now, here's the thing. When we talk about this, and I asked you the question about best meal ever, if we went around the table, or went around the, the room and talked about what is everybody's best meal, best dining experience, he, here's the thing I know. Your best meal didn't come out of a bag. You were not running through a drive-thru and, and, and just opened it up and driving home. Oh my gosh, this is the best McDouble I've ever had in my life. The way the diced onions are just stuck in my teeth and the cheese is clogging my arteries. Woo, Jesus! Like, that wasn't your best meal ever. Your best meal or your best dining experience happened at a table. Doesn't matter if it's a restaurant or somebody else's house. You sat down at a table. And the thing about the table, the thing about that experience is that it wasn't just the food, right? It was the company. Because if you have really, 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 really good food and really, really, really good company, really good people around you, when, when that happens, don't you just kind of like lose track of time? And it's just like you're just spending time at the table with great people and great food. Isn't that what the table is all about? And so I've been thinking about this message for a while. Um, the past couple of months, I've, I've been kind of gearing up and studying through for the end of the year and getting Christmas messages and stuff ready. And, and I came across this section of scripture um, about a month ago. And if you're a, a Christian or non-Christian, um, you're familiar with this passage of Scripture. Like Christians, we quote it all the time. And even if you're a non-Christian, you've most likely heard it at a funeral or a wedding. It's the 23rd Psalm. Now, David 
who writes Psalm 23, said something fascinating that for years I just kind of skipped over. But but recently I really stopped to think about it and really focus in on it. Because he says this in verse 5 of Psalm 23. He says, you, he's talking to God. He says, God, you prepare a table before me. David said, God, you prepare a table. And so I started to think, what would a table prepared by God look like? I mean, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Because God is a creative God. Like, God just speaks things, and, and beauty just absolutely happens. Like, like he spoke, and, and like, like every night, every night he speaks, and there's a sunset. And, and aren't sometimes sunsets just like absolutely, just absolutely amazing and beautiful? Like, like, I mean, you don't even have to like see them every night and sit out, but you could just be driving a, a, around and not thinking of anything. And all of a sudden it just catches your eye and you're like, man, God, aren't you awesome? Like, like think about the oceans. Like he just spoke and the oceans were formed. I don't know if you've ever been in water like that, but man, water like that, that, that's my favorite place in the entire world. It's just on the beach somewhere, right? I don't even know how the song goes, but whatever. Toes in the sand and butt in the... Oh, I don't even... Country music is stupid. It's confusing, see? Don't awe, you you know it is. So anyway, the mountains... He just spoke, and there are mountains. And, and I've stood at the bottom of mountains, and I've been up mountains and, and looking over. It doesn't matter looking down or looking up, just, just realizing how small I am and how just insignificant like things are and how wonderful and how awesome God is. He, he just spoke, and, and there they were. And it's just so, so incredibly beautiful. And David says, you prepared a table. And so like I said, I was trying to think, like, if you were sitting at a table prepared by God, what would it look like? Now, this is a table prepared by Brenda, and it's pretty cool. But a table prepared by God. Probably have, like, the whitest linens. You could spill stuff on them and not get yelled at because they wouldn't stain, right? The plates would be huge because God's into big portions because there's no calories in heaven, right? At least I believe that. That's my personal belief. But, but what would be at a table prepared by God. Think about it. Think about some of the things that would actually be there. You think there would be unconditional love at that table? Yes or no? Absolutely. Unconditional love. Do you think there would be amazing grace? Let me tell you something about amazing grace. Let me tell you why it's so, why it's so amazing. A lot of Christians will say that God's grace is amazing because it covers the past. Like if you have a past, you know what I'm talking about when I say a past, right? You have a past of something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. A lot of people think God's grace is amazing because of that. But but listen, if God's grace covers 10 years ago and it doesn't cover 10 minutes ago, then it's not grace. And so grace is for what we did 15 years ago, what we did 15 hours ago, what we did 15 minutes ago. Grace is grace. And the reason it's amazing is because it absolutely covers all of our sins. And so do you think there's amazing grace at this table? Yes or no? Yeah. You think there's acceptance here? You think there's acceptance for everybody? Do you think everybody's welcome at the table? Yes or no? Absolutely. Do you think at that table we would have peace? Do you think our lives would be filled with peace at that table? Do you think there's peace in the presence of God? Yes or no? Yeah. Is there joy? Yeah, all of that stuff is, at least this is what I think, right? Somebody else is probably going to argue that it's not. But I think a, a table prepared by God would have to be that way. And so because of that, I've been asking myself this question. 
if God has prepared a table in front of us and it's full of acceptance and unconditional love and grace and mercy and peace and joy and fulfillment, then my question is, why don't we experience that all the time? Or, 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 or am I the only one? Because if, if I'm honest, I don't always feel loved by God. If I'm really honest with you, I don't always have peace in my life. I don't always feel acceptance. I'm the kind of guy that believes that grace covers other people. It just doesn't cover me. Anybody else wrestle with that that wants to be honest on a Sunday? And so if God has prepared a table in front of us and has all of these incredible things on it, then why aren't we experiencing the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10? 10? And, and when I read that verse, I'm like, oh, like I wonder... Why it's not there all the time. And then David answers it in the rest of the verse. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, we've got the table and there's acceptance and there's joy and there's peace and there's love and there's mercy and there's amazing grace and all of that. But then you've got the trouble. You've got the trouble all around us. See, we've got the table prepared by God and then we've got the presence of the enemy. And what happens is the enemy causes us to lose focus. Have you ever, have you ever lost focus and done something dumb? Say yes. yes. <laughs> That's all of us, right? Like texting and driving. I know you've never done it, but you know people who have and you pray for them, right? Good Christian. It's like you're driving along and you're like, LOL, OMG, WTF, where's the fun? And you look up and you're in the middle of a field. I'm just hypothetically saying, I had heard that had happened to a pastor somewhere one time, once. That happens when we lose focus. When we lose focus, we, we do dumb things. Dumb things happen to us. And, and David said, you, God, you prepared a table before me. But that doesn't mean that just because we're in the presence of God, just because God is doing something huge, God is doing something significant in our life, that we're not surrounded by enemies. We tend to, and when I say we, listen to me, I put myself right in this category because I'm as guilty as anybody in this room. What we tend to do is slowly but surely we take our focus off of the table and we turn our chair around and we focus on the trouble. And this is where we begin to doubt that God really loves us. This is where we begin to doubt God's grace when our back is at the table. And then we get mad at God for this right here. We get mad because our back is to the table. But my question is, and, and I'm not trying to call anybody out. Like I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because I'm in this boat too. But whose fault is this? We can't blame this on God. Listen, we don't get to choose what we go through, but we do choose how we go through it, whether we're going to be focused on the table or whether we're going to be focused on the trouble. And so when David, when he writes this, when he says, in the presence of my enemies, there's a lot of categories that we can put for enemies, right? I want to give you three this morning, um, three that just stick out big to me, all right? So three enemies that take our focus off the table. The first one is people, people. Do you know that there are some people that don't like you? Do you know that? Everybody loves me. No, they don't. They don't. I'm telling you, especially with social media right now, you got people that don't like you. People have said, oh, social media has changed us. It didn't change us. It exposed us. Yes or no? Yeah. It's just, I'm a Karen 27 now has a platform, but she doesn't call herself. I'm a Karen 27. She calls herself Bible lady 325. 
All right, focus on the table. I could go on for days on that. You got people that don't like you. And what happens is a lot of times we'll take our focus off of the table and we'll start to listen to what the people who don't like us, who don't even know us, say about us. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again because it's worth repeating every time we talk about this. The quickest way to forget what God says about you is to focus in on what other people say about you. Seriously, the quickest way to lose focus on the table and what God is saying to you at the table is to flip your chair around and focus to what those idiots are saying. People who don't, people, listen, they're identity thieves. They're stealing our identity. They're saying, hey, this is who you are. That's what you did. But at the end of the day, those idiots don't get to define you. Only God can define you. So you need to take your focus off of the people and turn your chair around and focus on God. Listen. I wrestle with this as much as anybody here because I used to think it was my job to get everybody to like me. But you know what? If they crucified Jesus, if they found something they didn't like about Jesus, they'll crucify you too. They will always find something they don't like about you. I don't care if you leave here and you walk on water. Somebody will say, you just don't know how to swim. I ran into somebody not too long ago, and long story short, I hadn't seen them in a while. And I was trying to be nice, trying to be pastoral, trying to be a good Christian. I said, hi, how you doing? And they said something really mean to me. I can't even repeat it here in church. Not even this church. That's how bad it was. But, but I, I got so angry inside, and I got in my Jeep, and I drove away, and I thought about for like five minutes how I need to turn around, how I need to go back and Javi, kicked her cart in, and a smile in this aisle, baby! Woo! It bothered me really bad. But then I thought, you know what? He don't get to define me. He don't get to say who I am. He don't get to talk about what I've done. And, and, and you know what? The same thing is true for you. They don't get to define you because they didn't walk through the hell you walked through. They don't know the giants that you faced. They don't know the fire you went through. They don't know the storm that you have survived. Heck, if they had gone through the hell you had gone through, they wouldn't even be alive. And at the end of the day, you need to understand, people don't get to define you. You're defined here at the table by the one who created it, by the one who invited you. People don't get to define us. People don't get to define us. Anyway, I'm not saying don't listen to people, by the way. I'm not saying that at all. I listen to people all the time. But you know who I listen to? The people seated around the table with me. That's who I listen to. I listen to these people. Don't listen to the people who are out here, people who want to scream at you, people who want to bring up the past, people who want to try to define you. That's what we need to do. Take our focus off of these people and put it on the table. Because these people, these people, who are sitting with Jesus, man, they're full of love and acceptance and joy and peace and patience and kindness. These are the people we want to be around. The second one is the past. Second enemy is the past. Now, how many of you at some point in your life have had a bad haircut? Raise your hand. How many of you? That ever, l- let me ask it this way. How many ladies have had a bad haircut? Look at all them hands. Look how fast that went up. That's, that's crazy. I told you this before, but I, I kind of like telling this story um, because it goes well with um, regrets. When I was a sophomore in high school, there was a very, 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 very semi-popular haircut called the mullet. It, it made a comeback. It never should have. 
Like, it's dumb looking, right? I mean, it, it just is. All the parents said amen right now. And, but I had a mullet. I, I had a, and listen, some friends of mine, like we had this great idea that we were going to go and we were going to put curly perms in our mullet. Just the backside, though. And, and, and listen, listen, here, here's the thing. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to tell the truth. This was like in 1990, 1991. And man, Yo! MTV Raps was super popular. And, and the only like cool kit you could go out and get if you were a dude was a jerry curl perm kit. That's it. That's all. That, that's, that's it. And so we're going to get jerry curl tight mini perm in our mullet. And I drew the short straw. And so I had to go first and I did it. Man, I wish I could tell you it looked awesome, but it was ridiculous. And everybody made fun of me. Guess how many of my friends did it next? None of them. They all just made fun of me. And so I had to go get it all cut off. Y'all want to see a picture of it? Ain't no way. (laughs) No freaking way. I'm going to show you that. When I look back on that, it was a mistake. And I'm so glad that the picture don't ex- well, it exists. My mom has it and you'll never see it. Um, but you know what? I wish a bad haircut was the only thing in my past I regretted. See, when we sit at God's table, we're focused on our future. We're focused on our potential. We're focused on how good and how great God is. And we realize since God is good and God is great, he wants great things for us. And when we focus on the table, we understand. And no matter what's going on in our lives, it's going to happen for his good and his glory because it's his purpose. And there we have hope. See, I've had people tell me, Ryan, you're just an optimist. And if you know me, I ain't an optimist at all. I'm not. I just take God at his word. I really do believe he has a plan for us. And I believe his plan for us is not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us, to, to, to give us a hope, to give us a future. And, and I guess I'm just dumb enough to believe that in Jesus, the best really is yet to come. But that thing, that thing that we did, that season that we lived, that, that thing that we regret, we turn our back and we focus on that past The past has a couple of cousins that he teams up with. Their names are guilt and shame. And I've told you this before, but guilt says this is, this is what you did. And shame says this is who you are. And, and the reason we wrestle with guilt and shame is because we've turned our back to the table. Now I'm not saying this to make anybody feel bad. You know, the reason I know this is true is because I've done this. I've turned my back on the table. I've turned my back on the presence of God. Focus on the past. Let guilt and shame dominate me. This is where we feel despair. This is where we feel hopeless. This is where we give up. This is where we want to quit. But it's just a matter of doing this. Just a matter of turning our chair back to the table because this is where there's potential. See, this is where there's pain. And we've got to leave the pain behind in order to focus on the potential that's ahead of us. The third thing is problems. We all got problems. And nobody in this room don't got no problems. Nobody walked in this door with no problems. Did you? Who, who walked in here with no problems? Come up here and preach. Nobody walked in here. God, my life is so perfect. Please give me some problems. Like, like nobody. 
Because we all got problems. Every single one of us. Relational problems, emotional problems, financial problems. We all have problems. I mean, some of the prayer requests that we get in, some of the conversations I've had, some of the stuff that some of you are going through that, that you that you guys have shared with me is absolutely crippling. It's crushing. But at the end of the day, a lot of times what happens is when it comes to our problems, we take our focus off of God and we turn it to our problems. And the reason I know this so well is because I've done it so many times. L- listen, God is huge. Yes or no? Yes. Like nothing is impossible with God. And nothing's impossible when we're focused on God. I mean, we know that. We know that nothing is impossible with God. But what starts happening is we start taking our focus off of God. And like I said, it's a gradual thing, right? It's, it's, it's slow. We don't do it automatically, but we begin to think about our problems. We begin to think about what's going on. And we focus on our problems. And what happens when we get faced like this is we minimize the presence of God, and we maximize our problems. And, and this is where anxiety and fear and depression and addiction cripple us every time. But if we take our focus off of the problem and put it on the presence of God, l- l- listen, the, the miracle oftentimes isn't him changing our circumstances. It's him changing our perspective. I, I'm not telling you, don't miss this. I'm not telling you if you just do this, if you just turn, face the table, all your problems go away. I'm saying When we do this, God gets bigger and our problems get smaller. And we understand he really is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine because that's the God we serve. Yes or no? Yeah. So so David went on, talk about this a little bit more, and he says this. He says, you anoint my head with oil, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. How many of you, how many of you in your vehicle, if you're, if you're, if your gas tank falls below half, you freak out. How many of you? How many? Come on, there's some of you own it. Own it. We know. We, we know. Come on, there's some people. Come on, raise your hand high. Gas. How many, if, if your gas if the tank falls below half and somebody who lives in your home with you and you get in their truck and you drive and it's on E, you freak out. How many, hypothetically, I have a friend this happened to just recently, yesterday. I don't, I don't know. How many of you? How many of you love to play the game? Let me see how long the light can stay on for. How many? How many? Come on, own it. Own it. Had a friend call me one time and said, Ryan, found out how long the light stays on for. Bring me some gas. So sure, John Sampson, be there in a minute. Uh, I'm just kidding. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't John. (laughs) I say that to ask this question. If you're sitting at a table prepared by God, do you think there's enough food? Yes or no? Yeah, I think there's plenty. Do you think God gets mad if you go back for seconds, yes or no? No, I don't think he gets mad if you go back for seconds, thirds, fourth, elevens. I don't think he cares, man. We're in heaven, right? Again, no calories. It's going to be great. And David says, at this table, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What does it overflow with? Well, we learned in the Empowered series that the Holy Spirit fills us with love. Love for others, love for ourselves. He fills us with joy. He fills us with peace. I'm talking about the kind of peace where all hell can be breaking loose around us and we have peace in the middle of that storm. That's what happens at the table. It's just overflowing. But when we get our focus off of the table and we face this way, we start running on empty. Have you ever felt like you're running on empty spiritually? You ever felt like you just ran out? You know why we run out? Because our chair is facing like this. 
we're focused on the trouble and not the table. And, and listen, if you're running on empty today, if you feel like you're on empty, I ain't judging you. I don't want you to feel bad. I'm talking to you as somebody who has ran on empty way more than I wish I had. But I know from my experience that when I'm running on empty spiritually, I've got to turn my chair around and focus on God's table because there's plenty of love at the table. There's plenty of peace at the table. There's plenty of joy at the table. There's all kinds of unconditional love at the table. And over time, God shifts my thinking to his thinking by filling my cup. Listen, you don't have to change your heart. That's not your job. You have to change your perspective. And as you turn, as you change your perspective and go back to the table, God changes your heart. We've got to shift our focus from the trouble to the table so our cup overflows. Then he says this, verse 6, Surely, I love that word, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. God, surely your goodness and your love. Remember when you were in elementary school and you used to write love notes? Remember that? I don't know. They don't do that now because kindergartners have cell phones and they just text, I guess. But when I was in elementary, middle school, you used to send love notes. How many of you remember that? You sent a note. I like you. You like me? Check yes or no. There's always one girl. She indecisive. She would draw on a third box. And third box would say what? Maybe. Maybe. Come on! Make up your mind! By the way, I didn't never get the third box. I always got a no. Straight up. Heck no. Circle the no. Draw arrows to the no. There's that maybe thing in our lives, right? It's this idea that we send a note to God and he draws in that third box. See, when I, when I talk to, I, I don't know about you, but I'll talk to people about the love of God. And, and, and we just say, I don't know. Because there's that thing that I did. There's that season that I lived. And there's just too many maybes in my life. But David said, ah, surely, which is an absolute Surely your goodness and your love, God, will follow me all the days of my life. And when I look at that, my question is, how could David write that? How could David write that? You know anything about David? I mean, you know the good stuff about David, right? Well, he killed Goliath, and he did some really cool, and the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart, and we quote that all the time in our prayers. Oh, God, please make me like David. Make me a man after your own heart. But you look in the Psalms, And you really look at what David did? Man, David couldn't get a job in most church staffs. Dude committed adultery and murder. He committed adultery and then he killed the husband of the girl that he got pregnant. And and, and you're going to talk about surely the goodness and love is going to follow you all the days of your life? How could he have that perspective with the jacked up, messed up past that he had? It's very simple. He focused on the table. See, when you're focused on the table, it doesn't matter what kind of past you've had. It doesn't matter what kind of trouble you've experienced. Because when you're on the focus on the table, you know, I know, God, your goodness will follow me. God, your goodness is going to follow me into my marriage. God, your goodness is going to follow me somehow when I go into Walmart. God, your goodness is going to follow me in the work. 
God, I know your goodness is going to follow me when I'm at home. God, I know that your goodness is going to follow me the rest of this year and next year and next decade and the decade after that. God, I know your goodness is going to follow me. Not because I'm good, but because, God, you are good. And he has invited me. He's invited you to sit at the table. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that we serve that kind of God? Not only is God's goodness going to follow you, but God's love is going to follow you. God has never looked at any of us and said, I don't know, maybe. Never. Not one time. God looks at me and God looks at you and God says, I love you. I love you, period. I love you right now, just how you are. I love you when you're worst. I love you when you're best. I love you, period. That's what David is writing about, that God's love for us is unconditional. He's going to love me when I'm messing up, and he's going to love me when I'm doing my best. God's love for us is unconditional, period. The times when we doubt God's love are the times when our back is facing the table. This is where we feel there's no way. No way God could ever love me. With everything that I've done, the stuff going on in my life right now, there's no way God loves me. But this, this is where we say God's love really is amazing. It's a matter of perspective. So which way is your chair facing? Which way? Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. There won't be a day in my life, a day in my life, where God's goodness, his love, isn't following me. And the only way I keep that perspective is to keep my focus on the table. Not on the trouble, but on the table. And then he says this, this is how he ends it. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We want this to be a church where if, like, if this is your life, your back is to the table. Like if this, is, if this has been your week, this has been your month, this has been your, your life, you're not judged for it. We want this to be a place where even if it's just for an hour on a Sunday, you could take your focus from the trouble and put it at the table and experience the presence of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God. That's why we talk about here, everybody is, a, is welcome here. Everybody is accepted here. Because listen, don't miss this. Nobody, nobody is exempt from the unconditional love and the amazing grace provided by God at the table. Nobody's exempt. Nobody is exempt from the unconditional love and the amazing grace provided by God at the table. This is where we get our confidence back, sitting at the table. This is where hope overflows. Not, not being like this, not looking at the trouble, but being all the way focused on the table. So I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know how your month has been. I don't know what kind of season you're going through. But here's what I want you to know. That today, today, right now, you can take a major step forward in your walk with Jesus by just taking your focus from the trouble to the table. Let's pray. God, right now, I just pray for everybody here. God, that we would know right now, in this moment, at the table, there's joy, there's peace, there's love, there's kindness. That Jesus, you invited us. You invited us to sit with you. And, and, and Jesus, there's nothing greater than you. You're greater than anyone that we're facing, anything that you're facing. God, that in you we can overcome any obstacle. We can conquer any giant. We can cross any path. God, with you holding on to us, with, with you in your presence at the table, 
God, everything is amazing. Mary's going to lead us in a song, and, and I want you to just sit and listen to the song. You can sing along if, if you know it. You can sing along in your heart. But I, but I want you to focus on where you are at the table and which way is your chair facing and how much turning you have to do. Understanding you don't got to change anything about you. God, God does the changing at the table. Maybe today your perspective needs to, needs to be altered. And you need to realize that God really is bigger than anything that you're going through. And you can experience that at the table. If you need prayer, if you'd like somebody to pray with you or for you, then during this song, there'll be people in the back corners of our sanctuary at our prayer stations who would love to pray with you and for you. Maybe, maybe you feel like, hey, I've been invited to the table, but I've never sat down. Maybe today's the day that, that you need to receive Jesus in your life. You've, you've heard it before. You know, you know the story. You know we're getting ready to come up on Christmas. You know, you know Jesus being born and we're going to celebrate him raising from the dead later on. I mean, you know those stories, but you've never received him into your life. You've never personally done that. And today's the day that you need to do it so that you can sit at the table and experience everything that God has for you. So the people back there would love to lead you in a prayer. God, we love you. And I pray over these next several moments that we would literally take heart and focus on you and know that in you the best really is yet to come. We love you. We praise you and ask that you just move in ways only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.